prayers that we have so many talented people in this church. Johan, again, you're amazing. Those of you who know Kathleen, uh, she pours her heart and soul into every song that she prepares. And whether you knew those songs or not, I know one thing. She thought long and hard about every word uh, for this church. That is her ministry. And we allow the Holy Spirit to guide her. Throughout the week, and he does. And sometimes we have conversations about it. But I know that whatever song she prepares, she does so because she believes it will minister to you. So many people to thank. Uh, so many people to thank. And I, I feel every time I step up here, I need to thank everyone. But uh, Pastor Dave and Dave Reed, this whole past week have been trying to bring this weekend, last weekend, this week, trying to prepare. The, the church uh, for next week's big reveal and just hard work around us. Just an embarrassment of riches we have here. So just very grateful for that this morning. And then, of course, the wonderful church. They do it because you're so wonderful and because they believe that they're doing God's work. So we all do it for that reason. If you have your Bibles, turn in them to Psalm 146. Topics in the church are as difficult and divisive to talk about as the topic of divorce. This is a hard topic to discuss in the pulpit. Divorce is very difficult and we should tread carefully when we talk about it because so many people are affected by divorce. Knowing that this topic is so difficult to talk about, I decided that for this week I would forego talking about that difficult topic and talk about a topic that's not as divisive, that doesn't divide us, and by that I mean politics. Here we go. Lord didn't give me a spirit of timidity. How many people told me this week, don't do it? And the spirit said, do it. Everyone else does. I don't have a Facebook or a blog. Maybe some of you shouldn't. Psalms 146. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes or princesses, in a son or a daughter of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his or her breath departs, 
he or she returns to the earth on that very day, his or her plans perish. But blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, the Lord who executes justice for the oppressed and who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord, how many times does the psalmist have to praise his name before we understand that our hope is not in princes? The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. Let's pray. God, you are so marvelous that the universe is your throne and the earth is your footstool. Lord, we know our hearts right now. We know our ears right now. We know our concerns right now. We know our false jubilation right now. We know our false and idolatrous worship of men and let your word redirect us to the Lord who made heaven and earth, and not to our hope in princes, not to our hope in the sons and daughters of men. Lord, there is no such thing as change or hope or greatness outside or apart from you. No lasting change anyway. You have sent your spirit into the world to transform the hearts of men. You have done so by giving us a new conscience and not through courtrooms. Real change, Lord Jesus, happens when your people are transformed in their hearts and don't need politicians to tell us who to love and tell us what to hate. Your Holy Spirit has been poured out into our hearts and the law written on your word. We are fully equipped to carry out all of the political platform of the kingdom of God. And yet, we're still trusting in princes and not in you. Jesus, grab our hearts this morning and help us to realize that you are the king of kings and Lord of and that there is no one on earth who operates outside your mission. There is no authority and power except that which God has given. You are God. Bring. Thank you, God. You free the oppressed. You feed the hungry. You care for the widow. You, Lord God, bring justice to the wicked. 
Let us put our hope in you. Amen. Like I said, I don't have a blog, but if I did, here's what it would say. The threat of the division in the church is real. By the word church, I mean the church universal. The church is characterized of all believing Christians. The threat of division in the church is real. The country is and has been divided. Our nation was born in insurrection, has grown in insurrection, and still fights in insurrection. The bloodiest war ever fought in our country's history was not against the Nazis, but among ourselves. Division is as American as apple pie. But I fear that the political division and sludge of this past election has had far greater influence on the church than the church has had on the nation. Civil wars may happen in any nation, but they cannot be permitted to occur within the body of Christ. The church is one body with many parts of which Christ is the head, but the American culture of insurrection is slowly trying to infect the members with the corruption of division. We have not handled ourselves well, brothers and sisters. We have allowed ourselves to be swept up in the whirlwinds of either personality cults or demonizing those who think differently than us on matters of opinion. Some of us feel defeated because our candidate lost, while others feel jubilance because our candidate won. But how many of us have stopped to consider that we are citizens of another kingdom? How many of us have considered the words of the Apostle Peter that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that we might proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light? I submit to you that our behavior has not produced much evidence that suggests we care very deeply about being a holy nation or about proclaiming the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Instead, we have hidden our lights in our voting booths and sold our saltiness for the seasoned tongues of politicians. This morning, I care more about divided Christians than I do about divided Americans. I care more about a divided church than I do a divided nation. My personal mission has been to cultivate the hearts of our members towards a greater love for both God and neighbor and to deepen the roots of Christian fellowship. But I fear that there is still too much worldliness in our hearts for the fruit of Christian unity to bud and nourish one another with the grace of Jesus Christ. I'm sad. Sad that a year of hard preaching and teaching in the area of Christian unity is potentially being undone by one election between two people, neither of whom 
care anything about the kingdom of God or his church. I'm sad that we robotically say Hebrews 10.24 that we are eager to stir up love and good works. And we say it every week with empty minds. And then we go out into our social forums and we act as just like a heathen would act in our Facebooks and in our blogs. Don't sing the verse if you're not going to live it. Every Sunday morning we say this verse. Yet it seems that we care little about putting it in. I ask you this morning, have I wasted your time and mine by preaching Christian unity? Do we care nothing for God's word and the preaching and the practice thereof? I feel like Paul this morning exhorting my church in the calling of the spirit to complete my joy by being of the same mind. Having the same love and being in full agreement and of one mind. If your candidate lost this past week, take time to grieve. Vent your frustrations to a close friend. If your candidate won this past week, be hopeful. Speak encouraging words to your brothers and sisters who share your views. If you didn't vote at all because your conscience was convicted, talk it out in your circles of trust. But let me caution all of you not to put your faith in any human being. As Guinness correctly observes, all utopianism runs aground on the reality of human nature. Neither candidate would have or will usher in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God has only one ruler, and he sits victoriously on the throne of his universe, using the earth as his footstool. The kings of the world sit on their thrones only because God has granted them ex cathedra. For therefore, there is no authority except that which God has to God rules his kingdom one way, and the kings of men rule theirs another. The kingdoms of the world tolerate much by way of immorality, simply through the common grace of God. It is by his hand of grace that men and women are free to engorge themselves on sexual pleasures, injustices, greed, and every type of debauchery. It is by God's grace alone that men may, under the lax laws of the state, engage in great moral and spiritual evils. For God alone has permitted His sovereign hand. Governors to legalize that which God has declared unfit for His kingdom. Yet men take His grace for granted and reject the perfect kingdom founded on the substitutionary death. His kingdom is only for those who have been perfected by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Only those in whom the Spirit dwells are fit for the kingdom of God. God's citizens are poor in spirit but rich in mercies. They are meek in heart and hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
They are merciful peacemakers, the salt of the earth and the light of the world. The citizens of the kingdom of God uphold the law by the spirit and surpass the holiness of the holiest of men. In God's kingdom, racism is abolished. I said in God's kingdom, racism is abolished. That's right here. This is it. The best you can hope for politically in this life sits in your midst right now. Red and yellow, black and white, right here. You want to see it abolished? Be here every Sunday and love one another in the grace of the gospel. God's kingdom, racism is abolished. For there is neither Greek nor Jew, black nor white, American, Chinese, Mexican, African, Russian, or European, or any other nation in the kingdom of heaven. Even the youngest citizens of the kingdom of God know that red and yellow, black and white are all precious in His sight. In God's kingdom, injustice is abolished. For there is neither slave nor free, rich or poor, oppressed or liberated. Even the youngest citizens of the kingdom of God know that God so loved the world that He gave His only summer sign that whoever believes will not perish but have eternal life. In God's kingdom, sexism is abolished. For there is neither male nor female, misogynist or misandrist, feminist or masculist. Even the youngest citizens of the kingdom of God know that God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. But the kingdoms of this world are nothing but a mirage of utopianism. Fading more and more as the reality of sinful human nature comes into focus. The citizens of God's kingdom long to hear the words of their king. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. We will be his people and God himself will be our God. We will wipe away every tear from our eyes and he will wipe away death and it shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things of this fallen world will have passed away. God's kingdom is incorruptible. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. But God's kingdom is not of this world. And while we wait eagerly for God to establish a lasting government where the true hope and true greatness are measured by the blood of His Son, we must be wise, watchful, and worthy citizens of the corruptible kingdoms of men. Number one, we must be wise. Jesus declared that His kingdom was not of this world. If it were of this world, his servants would have been fighting that he might not be delivered over to the Jews, but his kingdom is not from this world. 
kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of men. The kingdom of God is the supreme ruler of our lives. It is precisely because of our sworn allegiance to God and because He is preeminent in our lives that we as believers subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor who is supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. But do we sit in ourselves? For this is the will of God. That by doing good, not evil, believer, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. God forbid that Christians be involved in that rioting. God forbid that Christians be involved in incompassionate gloating. People are hurting. And the answer is not more pain. The answer is to be a source of we must not expect believers to behave like our non-believers to behave like believers or to expect unrighteous rulers to behave like righteous ones. The best we can expect in this life from the governors of this world is to stay out of the way and let the church be about the fervent business of the Great Commission. And I can tell you this, for too long, the state has been out of the way and the church has been ineffective in its groundwork in this country. We have done little to use our sources of media to spread the gospel and abuse it only to spread the more hate. Racism, sexism, classism, Misogyny, xenophobia, greed, murder, rape, and every other evil under the sun will never be permanently solved in the courts, but only in God's Holy Spirit may we ever hope to last the change. God is the supreme legislator. His laws are perfect and His Spirit has written them on the hearts of all who believe in His Son. You want to eradicate injustice in this country? Start by looking in the mirror. Start by repenting of your own sins. Get the plank out of your own eyes so that you may see clearly to get the speck out of your brother's eye. Don't worry about what they over there are doing. Have you repented of your sins? We must be wise to work for peace through the church and not through the courts, over coffee and not through the courts, through the message of the gospel and not a message of hope or a message of make America great again. There is no hope in those empty slogans. The only hope for this world is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but that the gift of God is salvation for all who trust in the Son. There's a slogan we can all live by. Real hope 
real change, real progress, real greatness is found only in an old rugged cross on Calvary and not behind the resolute desk in the Oval Office. We must be wise not to raise the bar for civil leadership to that of leadership within the church. Yes, the leaders of the world would do well to live above reproach. To be the husband of one wife or the wife of one husband. Not violent or out for greedy gain. Not arrogant or quick-tempered, but hospitable. That word hospitable literally means loving or the friend of strangers. I think that's an interesting word. They would do well to be a lover of good and self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. But we should not look to these men and women to be our moral compass. How many of you have seen this? Look at these candidates. What kind of example do they set for your young people? Let me ask you, Christian. Are you pointing young people to men? Are you pointing your children to your politicians? Or to Jesus and to the leaders of His church? You take them to social programs and you keep them out of Sunday school. And you expect them to find a moral compass there? God forbid it. I have two prayers for my children. That they love Jesus and love His church. And anything in between that they do, I don't worry about. If Claire wants to be a doctor, let her be one. If Kevin wants to be a comedian, let him be one. That's probably what they're going to be. <laughs> but my one prayer is that they love Jesus and they love His church. Because if they love Jesus and they love His church, every law that God requires is fulfilled in that love. They give the mission to this church is based on love. What mission do I have for us? We fail if we don't have a greater love for God and a greater love for neighbor. At least that's how I will judge our time together as your pastor and you as my congregation. I will judge this as a success or failure by how you love one another, not by how you stir up hate. This is why I don't have a blog, by the way. Maybe I should. These men and women are flawed, but God has placed the leaders of His church to be our moral and spiritual examples, not our politicians. Be wise to honor our political system. Writing in the name Jesus Christ on a voting ballot is as offensive against the political system and even more offensive against the theology of the Bible itself. What did Paul say in Romans 13, 7? Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. And we neither respect nor honor the system when we mock the voting process by writing in the name Jesus Christ on our ballot. That is silly. Christian, do not load the gun for them. They say Christians are stupid and knuckle-draggers, and we help them when we do stuff like that. Jesus will not be president. He will be king of everything, and that's it. 
he will not be voted out in four years. Enough with the silliness. We must be wise not to expect our politicians to do the work of the church. Caesar exists to punish evil and to reward good. And I know, I know I can hear your thoughts this very moment. But what happens when Caesar is the source of evil and is a hindrance of good? What do we do then? You would do well to remember that when Paul wrote these words in Romans 13, that he had been under the injustices of Rome for quite some time when he said, submit to the authorities. What do we do? We must engage the political process with a biblical worldview and not with the inherited presuppositions of a particular political party. Be wise, Christians. Put not your trust in princes in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. If the Obama poster on your wall has become an altar of veneration, tear it down. If the slogan on your trunk cap becomes your gospel message to the world, throw it away. Not least because it looks so doofy. Better that the world knows that faith, hope, and love are found in Christ alone, rather than that they go on trusting in one in whom there is no salvation. Number two, we must be watchful. Watch your allegiances, Christian. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Give him his taxes, his revenue, his respect, his honor, his obedience. But render to God the things that are God's, namely your very life. Caesar can have back every coin that bears his image on it, but give to God every part of yourself that bears his image. We are precisely in the mess we are in today because the church has failed to keep at least one half of Jesus' command. If we would give to God what belongs to God, not just our time, not just our talents, not just our time, but every footstep, every word, and every thought, the church of Jesus Christ would be a force to reckon with in this country. But we have given our image, the very thing that belongs to God, to our political parties. Be watchful. Watch for persecution. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Watch out for these wolves in sheep's clothing. Watch out for those who say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. These politicians are not out for your good. They are out for your votes. But Jesus gave his life while you were still his sinner and his opposition. And he died for you. He wants nothing from you save that of your obedience to a gracious Savior. Watch for lies. Politicians are equal opportunists to use black Christians, white Christians, Hispanic Christians, and every other race of Christian alike, all for their votes. Watch for buzzwords. When you hear the world say words like tolerance, know that they mean acceptance. 
When you hear them say peace at all costs, know that truth is the price. These buzzwords are false doctrines, hijacking our terminology and not using our dictionary. Who is more tolerant than God? For He is slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He died for us while we were yet sinners. This morning, the God of heaven and earth calls every person in the world from the greatest to the least, from the richest to the poorest, from the best to the worst, to repent in the name of Jesus Christ. You will have eternal life. Who is more tolerant than our God? What he offers is this. The keys to the kingdom of heaven Turn from your filthy bag of sins. What a God we serve. Maybe you don't believe that because you haven't considered your sins. Stop for a moment and consider how full your bag of sins really is. And know that God has forgiven you for them. Past, present, and future. Watch out for the needs of your brothers and sisters. Trump supporter, have you carefully considered the hurt and fear of those who didn't support him? Are you working to help to reconcile with them from across the aisle? Are you mourning this morning with those who mourn? I submit to you that if we fail in this hour, of division to be the kind and compassionate body of Christ within our churches, soothing the wounds of those who are hurting, we may mortally wound our effectiveness in the United States of America. Instead, reach out to your brothers and sisters in love. Those who lost, be ready for reconciliation. Be eager for it. Try to understand that the hurt of your brother and sister is feeling. Why haven't we wept over racism and sexism in the church? This is a good question. Why have we cared more about the babies in the womb than the children living in poverty? Why do we fight for life and not rescue the life in our streets? We care about the abortion of babies and our inner cities are war zones. This very city is one of the worst. And these are good questions that the church must answer. Finally, believer, be worthy. Be a worthy citizen. The Christian has always been the greatest citizen of any kingdom because he or she obeys. We contribute and we lead. Christians are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation through whom every nation in the world is blessed. Dr. Mark Coppinger, former president of Midwestern Theological Seminary, has chronicled how Christianity has shaped the West. Constitutionalism and limited powers of government have been derived from the biblical concept of covenant. Common ancestry and universal human rights are derived from the biblical teaching that all men are created in the image of God. Gender equality comes from the biblical teaching that God made male and female and that He created them in His own image. 
Racial equality derives from the preeminence of Jesus gave to every nation in the Great Commission. People like William Wilberforce and Clavin Group helped to abolish slavery through the motivation of the Bible's teaching on race. Innovation in labor derived from the biblical work ethic that if a man does not work, let him not eat. Charity comes from the Lucan emphasis on caring for the poor. Eradication of social injustices is largely emphasized by the story of the Good Samaritan. Scientific advancement from the belief that the book of Scripture and the book of nature had their origin in the sovereign God who created all things good. And on and on we can go into how the Christian worldview has given a great inheritance to this nation. But Coppinger ends his track with these words. We are engaged in a battle of ideas. A clash of worldviews. Everyone agree with that? Our future and more importantly, the future of our children's children. How many of you prayed for your children and your children's children this past Tuesday? I did every hour on the hour. The future of our children's children will not be won or lost with swords or landmines, machetes or nuclear missiles. It will be preserved by our return to the faith. Church, begin this new political season not by trusting in our president or by our Congress or in our courts, but in the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You who desire immigration reform, are you hospitable to strangers? You who wish to eradicate racism, do you care for the needs of the disenfranchised? You who protest abortion, do you care for all children outside of the womb? You who complain that one party is only for the rich, do you give away your money to the poor? You who are pro-family, do you love your spouse the way Christ loved the church? Do you leave an inheritance for your children? Do you provide a home for orphans? You see, believer, God has already made you a citizen of His kingdom. And He has equipped you to be the best citizen that every nation would be blessed to have. Go. Go and be what you demand your leaders to be. Be the salt of the earth and the light.
And you know the heart of every person in this church. You know the words that hurt that we said to one another. You know the words of discord that we have posted on our forms of social media. Lord, I pray for repentance. Oh Lord, let us do the gravity. Would we go into the courts of men and allow those who are unjust to judge those who will judge the world? Would we be so immature in the faith that we would divide over the devils of politics? God, don't let the momentum of Christian unity in this church be thwarted by Satan. He is happy this morning that we are hateful towards one another. He is happy to wipe away from our vision the kingdom of heaven. He is happy to have us put our faith in men who will fail us and not look to the conquering king of kings. Lord, don't let Satan Jesus.